Growing a business is hard, but it does not have to be. Once a week, we take a break from the hustle and bustle in business to talk about innovations and what's new in the C-suite. This is the Fractional C-Suite Retreat, and I'm Joseph Frost. Pull up a seat at the fire, grab a drink, smoke a cigar, and just join me as we relax, learn, and get inspired. This retreat is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow with better marketing strategy. Welcome. I'm excited for our guest today. He is a community builder, uh, first in the film industry, and now he's building communities in the blockchain uh, and coaching of entrepreneurs industry. Uh, he focuses on bringing people together, both personally and virtually, uh, through all sorts of tools and techniques. Uh, he's founder and managing director at Storylux. Welcome, Simon Chapuzo. Chapuzo. I'm not Thank French. You. I have a hard time with your name, but uh, Chapuzo. Yeah. Chapuzo. That took me years much. to learn that, so uh, no blame on others. How old were you when you were finally able to pronounce your name? Well, pr pronunciation came first and then spelling, I think, were like two different things at the age of like 10 or something. Okay. All right. So I got 10 years to catch up yeah, and then, we're, yeah. then you can blame me. <laughs> well, thanks for being here. I, I want to get, uh, get started with uh, the first question I like to ask uh, our guests is if there was something that you could share with the C-suite, uh, other business leaders and business owners uh, what would you want to share? What's something interesting to you or something you're working on that you think uh, more people should know about, be aware of? Um, well, I think one thing that sort of like uh, fascinated me over the past uh, months is like uh, with marketing, especially it's, it's a very unique bespoke thing for every company, for every product, for every service. And uh, I see a lot of people trying to find the, the, the golden bullet for their marketing challenge. And uh, people say, yeah, I gotta do Facebook ads or LinkedIn or da, 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 da. And there, I don't think there's this one thing. It's always unique to your company, to your service, to your product. And it helps to have an expert who understands your industry, who understands your unique challenge and has done something similar uh, with somebody else and knows how it works. Um, so I think uh, a lot of people are reinventing the wheel when there is no need because there are people who've done it and marketing is a very challenging field because there are a lot of opportunities and possibilities. Yes, well, you're speaking to the choir here for sure. Do you look at uh, community building as a marketing effort? Yeah, it's an interesting question because... Um, I think if you're trying to build a community to sell stuff, uh, it doesn't feel nice. Um, but I think um, if there's a genuine interest in bringing people together and uh, leveraging their knowledge and insights, you are automatically building a community. You're automatically building, you're automatically doing market research. You're trying to you're understanding the buyer, the seller, uh, so it's a very organic process, and I wouldn't really think about it as a as something that is done on purpose to sell something. I think just if we bring together buyers and sellers in a marketplace, that is community building, and everybody's benefiting from that. So what it's yes and and no. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I've I've um, 
I believe in that because I, I've been involved in some different initiatives and both uh, gone down the path of just building the community or the, 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 the project with the intention of connecting people with similar in, interests. And then I've gone down similar projects where the purpose was to sell something or position ourselves or a client to be able to sell something. And mm. the latter path is a little disingenuous or it doesn't come off as authentic mm. and doesn't seem to be as effective as the doing it just for the right reason. And, or maybe right's the wrong way, but being for more of a pure authentic reason. Um, what has your experience been? If someone sets out to build communities because they do want to build a marketplace and sell something, how can they stay authentic and be effective at really building a true community? Well, I think it always starts with um, having a genuine interest in what you do and the problem you solve and the people you do that for. So if you really want to help people to get this thing done that they are struggling with, I think that that is a great point to start from. And then being driven by curiosity, trying to understand what exactly is that problem? How can we solve that? How can other people help? I think being driven by this curiosity while bringing people together is a good point to start. And it's a very natural, authentic thing. And more as a back thought, you will build a product, a service, a community that, that tackles that problem. But it's not like this, this deliberate force thing that comes off as unnatural. So just curiosity in whatever you try to solve and to, to do. Yeah, be curious. It's, uh, that's a good way to look at it. I'm, we had this I'm, online community for blockchain. Sorry, when I want to jump in uh, for for blockchain entrepreneurs, and uh, I never thought of building a community as we were as we were doing it. So all we did was trying to initiate conversations among the members, and we brought them on to calls where they would talk about their core expertise be that they build a currency or a protocol or some token for some, some exchange platform. So all we did was really trying to find people that were interesting from the community, invite them to speak about what they do, bring on other members to share. And that was super interesting. And we didn't really have to make an effort. And, and, and people felt so connected and really appreciated what they what they gained from these calls and from being brought together in that way. Yes, that makes sense. And what I was about to say is I'm curious how community, build, community building has changed over the years with the advent of social media and LinkedIn and mm. Bert, you know, Zoom and Teams. Has it made it easier to build community, harder, different? I would, I would say different, neither easier nor harder. I think different in the sense that it's easier to bring people together, but it's also easier for people to leave. So it's becoming more fleeting. And um, the clarity of the why, why are we here has to be really clear. I think like in the old days without uh, all the social media platforms, if you think like in a physical world, people coming together in a, in a room 
it's much more takes much more commitment because you have to go there you have to spend time you can't leave if it's if it's boring and now if you are on a call you just on a, on a group call you just leave if it's boring and you just jump off so different in the sense that it's definitely more fleeting and um that you have to to counter by being really clear why we're here what are you getting out of this what do you have to contribute um so i think we have also to be much more deliberate with the why and to communicate this to members and how does size impact the fleet fleetiness online versus in person i've personally found that large community um, conversations and, and and opportunities online it's very difficult to engage but in a large conference room of attendees it's it's a stronger feeling you feel more connected sometimes with larger groups how have you seen the size of communities play out differently on online versus in person well i think there's there's a like several points one is um a lot of people i think always aim for big is better and i want more members uh when it's really about the the value that individual members get out of this thing uh and if that is a lot the community doesn't need to be big so a group of 50 people can be more valuable to somebody than a group of like 5000 people and um i think the other thing with being in a room together brings a different kind of commitment because you are in the room physically uh, and uh, I always feel like being on a call with like 20, 50 other people for, for an hour or two, you never get the same kind of vibe like you would get in the same room. And I don't know whether it's sort of like if there's a magnetic field emanating from our brains right. that sort of brings us together. But I know so many, I can remember so many events in person learning sessions with EO or other organizations where we had to stay in the same room for hours and hours and hours. And that really left an impact. I've never had a similar experience from a Zoom call with 50 other people. Right. So I think there's something being said about being in the same room. Yeah, and I wonder does it does it, is that changing our universal experience around community? So much more of our communities are online with social media, with Zoom meetings, with with online learning and conferences. Is the expectation different? Is the universally the the idea of a community now is is hybrid and people are associated that way or is it two separate communities you've got your in-person communities and you've got your virtual communities i think there's a misunderstanding or misunderstandings maybe hard word but uh, with virtual things you you have to make a deliberate effort to to make that work um we come from this offline world these in-person things where we had a certain culture of like you're punctual ideally 
you don't sort of get up in the middle of a talk, uh, you don't sort of interrupt people. There are sort of like things that we just don't do because it, it would disrupt the flow of the thing. And I think with virtual things, we have to develop certain habits and commitments to make it more binding. Um, there's a difference in attending a call, um, a group call and having myself as a video on. So I always turn off myself, my own video because it's distracting to me because I end up watching myself. It's like the, the least interesting thing. So that is a cultural thing that, that I think we have to learn to turn off our own video, to pay full attention to the screen, um, to really listen, not check messages in between because it's all taking away our attention. And yeah. um, these are things that we have to learn and then virtual or hybrid things can work. But uh, we were thrown into a world of uh, online events with no prior training or culture, culturization. And if we want to make that work better, then we have to introduce certain habits or cultures around online. And then I think it can be nice mixed with, with hybrid because the, the big benefit of um, online is it doesn't matter where you are. And uh, I, I being having been a part of the Berlin chapter, the London chapter of EO, that was always very localized uh, back in the days. Now I'm a part of the Mepa Bretsch chapter. It's across Africa. Doesn't really matter where members are. So that's a great, great advantage. But we have to work hard to make up for the loss of proximity and being in the same room. Yeah, in many ways. Community building has been enhanced with technology and virtually, but also mm -hmm. limited. And it, it would make sense that technology will continue to improve to make that community experience stronger. Um, yeah, I, I just can picture holographic community rooms and tactile sensations that you could get out of your technical, you know, out of your equipment. Uh, There's all sorts of evolutions that probably are coming our way to, to bring that personal experience closer online than, uh, than the current. Yeah, I think that a lot of things we can do right now that are not rocket science that I see missing in a lot of, a lot of communities. So just to give an example of what we've done, um, we change the name of people in the group, they became members to give that sort of, to elevate the experience a little bit. Um, whenever we had new members join, we did an introduction for the members. So we sent out a message with a photo. We wrote a highly stylized introduction to make that person really look cool and interesting and to, to make members understand what that person brings to the community and why, they're, why, why, why we've chosen that person. And um, other things like sending a weekly mailing that summed up what has happened in the, in the chats so that people that couldn't attend or are just not that online would still sort of stay in the loop. So there are like a lot of things that we can build um, or do to make a virtual experience still more engaging. Um, yeah, changing names and bringing more, more visibility to what's happening in the group and who are the other people. And I think that is, that is the biggest challenge. Um, 
if I meet a person in in a room, I see the whole the whole body. I can read what what the person is like. Uh, probably also smell to a certain degree sometimes, mm-hmm. um, and it's a different experience than like here now. I just see your head up to the shoulders, um, and it just gives only part of the information that I can get from you. And uh, so we have to make a conscious effort with uh, uh, online things to make up for this loss of information by talking more about who's that person, what do they want, what, where do they want to go, how can we help them, all that. Yeah, I love that. There are simple things that we can do now. One of the things I, I happen to facilitate probably four or five monthly community meetings for different organizations and virtually. And one of the things that I found really simple and effective is at the beginning of that meeting, I do random breakouts into three to five people. I give a topic. Let's we're going to break out, make some quick introductions, and discuss this one idea. And that is the best part of the meeting usually for everybody. Is that first ten or fifteen minutes with a smaller group, and then when we come all back in the room. Then we might have more of a learning event or kind of a speaking or one-way kind of communication uh, because it's just hard with 30, 40 people to get any type of intimate conversation. Yeah. But when you do, at least with Zoom, and I've not done it with Teams, but the random breakouts rooms, it's a great way. Simple. I think it's great because they at the beginning of this big thing with all these people that they never get a chance to talk with over the next one, two, three hours, but they can form their little tribe of like three, four or five people and can create this intimacy that allows them to open up. And I guess then after that first call, they're more open to the bigger group and it's easier to then engage and uh, get insightful statements because they're sort of more at ease with the, with the whole group. I like it. Yeah. Uh, any other online tips for uh, community building? Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll well, come up with some. Well, uh, I would say technology is overrated. So I remember we had a lot of a lot of discussions around sort of what platform and what features and da 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 da. And my experience of the 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 platform that is easiest to use for all members is the best. And um, don't overcomplicate features over personality. And um, everything that helps to bring out the personality of members in, a, in an online setting is 10 times more valuable than having another feature of like, I don't know, whatnot. So, yeah, that's great. I know you do some work. Um, well, some of the work you do that probably spurred from your community building is on you know, more lead generation activity for businesses and and coaches and executives. And I've found it fascinating because your approach has been evolving over even over the last several months as far as what you see is effective in that arena. So talk a little bit about what are some of the best practices that you see today for um, executives and or sales leaders or business owners that are trying to leverage LinkedIn as a way to build their um, and we'll trans transition from community building to prospects because hmm. um, you've done a lot of good work in that area. And I, and I know you have iterated quite a bit. Can you share some of the best practices and what you've learned? Yeah, absolutely. So 
you're absolutely right. It is, it is a journey, it's ongoing. And uh, coming back to what I said in the beginning with um, there is no one marketing framework or one platform that works because every product is different, every service is different. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned over the past three years working for the EO Accelerator or trying to find members for the EO Accelerator for EO chapters and for business coaches is is the person that you're trying to reach out to is that person ready to speak with you is that person ready for what you have to offer and um, very often uh, that's not the case so if you send a cold email to somebody who's not in the market for business coaching uh, you can hammer that person with emails and um, i had a really interesting experience Um, we did a cold email campaign for the london chapter and uh, with little success, barely anyone responded. And uh, the funny thing was like six, 12, 18 months later, I had a couple of people come back to me um, that hadn't replied before saying something like, hey, Simon, 12 months ago, you sent me this email about the accelerator thing. Uh, tell me, what, what is the accelerator? And uh, so... When I first reached out to that person, he wasn't ready, but uh, the, 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 the seed was planted in his or her mind. And 12 months later, they came back and said, tell me, tell me about this thing. I'm ready now, now I get it and I want it. And I think that's the first dynamic that we have to understand that uh, in some, in, with, with some services and products, often it's not the right time to sell now. So it's more about establishing a contact or building a connection. And um, that is where community building comes into, into play because it's a different way to engage with people. It's not like, hey, you wanna buy this now, but uh, you wanna be part of this thing. And um, that thing, whatever it is, will expose you to ideas that ultimately might lead to you becoming a clients for for a coach or for a service so um yeah does it does it answer your question oh yeah i think so yes i mean uh on um in my experience with the cold emails it's same We, we we've used that tactic for ourselves and for others uh to attract prospects when there is a hit when which is seldom Cold email just seems to be a really, really, really bad tactic these days for, I don't know, for service products like mm. I do, like I have. But when there is interest, it's also very, what's typically known as top of the funnel. It's, it's very early intrigue, but not ready still. And mm. so that touch point, if there's even a conversation made, it could be months away from that lead being ready to have a strong conversation but there's other tactics that are much more instant google comes to mind people are searching for business coaching and they come up with a you know they see an ad they're going to click and they're ready to buy most likely they're not searching for something going to do 12 months later Uh, usually there's some funnel searching going on there but those are just two different techniques, but a community, it sounds like, can bridge that gap and it can put people 
that are anywhere along that spectrum in the funnel into one community that can can continue to be nurtured. So when they're ready, the opportunity's there. When they're not ready, they're still receiving value from the community and and you're mm. you're building your uh, your funnel through a yeah. community. Is that is that how you see it? Yeah, and uh, let me make a comment of Google Ads on Google Ads, um, <laughs> which I think has spoiled uh, the expectations of some people because uh, Google Ads are great for transactional things that you can clearly define. I want to buy a new car. I want, uh, I don't know, I want a new Tesla. Uh, so that is, I can type that in, but already with a business coaching thing, I can look for a business coach, but it's so such a wide field and it's so dependent on the personality of the coach. That's an area where I'd rather go with somebody who was recommended to me from somebody that I trust than look for a for a Google ad because it's less transactional and it's more personality-based. So I think a lot of people have this expectation that Google ads can solve a lot of things. And I think in a lot of cases, it's just not the right channel or the right tool because it's it's a different dynamic and uh, with the community building to come back to your question um it's a great way to to engage with people that are top of the funnel and not quite ready for like the big thing but that have an interest that sort of sense a problem and i think often with business coaches nobody says like i want to remake my whole company and put it on an operating system like eos it's mostly like i don't know we always seem to hire bad people what are we doing wrong and then sort of you start looking into this one thing and then there's sort of like the whole cascade of other connected things that all tie together um but nobody looks for like uh i want to remake my whole company but uh i want to hire better people so it's like small concrete things and um, a community might be a better place to get answers to these things or hoping to get answers. And then they are introduced to the bigger idea of like, okay, maybe not just try to fix people, but fix the whole company by introducing a systematic operating system that, that addresses all these issues that you didn't really know you have. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on Google. It, it has spoiled many people and that changed many other people's expectations of how simple marketing should be, right? Uh, yeah. And it's far from it. It's so far from it. Yeah, it's, and also for me, it's um, one thing that I've learned to now say when we start uh, working with the business coaches to say, you should at least expect six to 12 months before you can really make a good call on whether this works for you. And Google Ads, you turn it on today, and tomorrow you know whether it's sort of working or what you can tweak. But uh, this relationship building, community building, that takes time. Um, but the good thing is, even if you turn it off after 12 months, it keeps running. If you turn off Google Ads, it's off. Right. You don't get anything else. But if you have a community running or if you have a strong LinkedIn profile, which I see as some way of a community, that keeps giving you dividends uh, far beyond the point when you stop publishing stuff because people still 
find you and engage with you. What are some of the elements of a good LinkedIn profile? Um, that is a good question. And uh, <laughs> I think it's um, people might invest or spend too much thought on like what needs to be written and sort of how does the profile need to look like. Uh, we've seen crappy profiles that didn't match any of the high standards of copywriters and they still kind of work. I mean, they work better if, if it's clear what you do, if you have a nice photo, if you have a good header banner that sort of supports your core message. All of these things help. Um, but I think the most important thing is to invest time. It's something you should spend 30 days, 30 minutes a day on and engage with people. You should publish something. Um, and it's really about the engagement. It's, um, I see a lot of people who just publish stuff and sort of hire an agency. And then you see these nicely styled uh, graphics uh, with witty quotes of like some smart entrepreneur and it's sort of like so without any personal character and it sort of feels bland and it's being done by someone and this person who owns the profile is never online um so one one simple dynamic is like when you comment on someone's post and you get an instant reply how does it make feel you? I mean, it's, it's such, it's so much nicer to sort of get an instantaneous reaction. And wow. um, if people have an agency that publishes the post every week, Monday at nine, and then they comment and there's no response or like a week later, it's sort of a futile effort. It's sort of, it's, it's only, they only see LinkedIn as an advertising platform. We just sort of blast our stuff out, but we're not listening to, people who come back to us. And I think that's sort of, it's, it's paying in the same, same direction of uh, community building. You want to interact, you want to have an exchange, you want to communicate, and that's how you nurture relationships and how you build a community. Yeah, I know uh, we had an exchange on LinkedIn not too long ago, and, and it's always great when you post something and you get a quick response, like, oh, someone's actually out there listening. And uh, I, I have a team that does some of my LinkedIn writing, but I feel very much that it's my responsibility to monitor posts and, and respond and, and engage. Like I've all, mm. That's how I've always viewed LinkedIn. Is it's like going to a cocktail party and not talking to anybody if you're not engaging. You can be the best dressed person in the party, but if you're standing in the corner and not talking to anybody, you're not getting any value out of that, nor is the rest of the party huh. you being there. That's a great analogy. I'll keep that one. Yeah, you can. My ideas are open source, I like to say. Um, and on that topic, I think we were engaging about marketing spend. It's a, that'd be good. Th I'd love to pick your brain because we had, I think, um, differing perspectives, not actually diff competing views, but just different pers perspectives. And I was suggesting that, you know, as you talk about recessions and we go into recession potentially or not that marketers and agencies and people will say, well, don't stop spending money, keep spending. You can't, you can't cut off your marketing. It's like cutting your nose to spite your face. 
And my perspective was, in some instances, it may be good to not spend, but you need to have someone thoughtful to walk you through the process, like a, a strategic leader to think through what's the right spend, or maybe it's just let's optimize the spend or change the spend, but you, it, it's not as simple as just keep spending. What do you, what do you think? Because you had a slightly different perspective. Well, I think in the, in the end, we didn't disagree that much. Um, right. But uh, definitely, I think the worst thing is to just cut all spending, regardless of like, just like, okay, we got to bring down costs. And I think it definitely makes sense to look at, okay, what are the things that, that have proven to work in the past? And let's focus on that. Let's maybe cut back a little on like experiments, unproven experiments that haven't brought in any RI and um, just take that spend and invest it in the areas that we know work and focus on that for the time being. Um, so I think uh, we, we, we are aligned on that. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, it's, it's, it surprises me that, that there are still companies that sort of then just cut everything. And it's like, okay, every department has to cut back by 10%. And it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe not that one because it's sort of the one that fuels your business. Um, maybe. Look I, I like that. Um, I like that take. You explained it better in person or virtually than you did on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> the idea of invested expenditures that we just have been experimenting with versus tried and true things we know have ROI. Uh, that separation, I think, is very important for companies to make across the board and, um, and don't often look at expenses that way. If you look at a bucket of operating expenses, rarely do you pull out, well, what, what if those expenses were truly experimental and not necessary or things we were just trying or doing because we could versus the things that we absolutely needed to do to operate. And marketing has so many of those types of expenses. It seems like most of marketing is an experiment. Um, <laughs> It, at some level, all of marketing is experiment at the beginning until you figure yeah. out what's working, then you can pour some gas on it. But I would guess most people's budgets, if they looked at their operating marketing expenses, a large percentage is experimental. I just don't know if it's working. Would you agree? Yeah, it's a, it's a wild field. Um, so I think a lot of companies might just be bad at tracking what works and what doesn't they just do stuff and they don't they can't really pinpoint and say this happened because of that and i understand very often in marketing it's hard because you can't if you don't run like a clear ads campaign um where you can see okay we spent we spent a hundred dollars and we got a 200 back in revenue that's clear cut but like all this fuzzy community a recommendation after six months, people come back thing. That's much tougher to to measure that, and um, it's. I think it requires a lot of experience uh, from somebody who's done things like that in the past to say, maybe we don't, we can't really see how it works, but I I know, which is always dangerous to say because I've done this previously, I know that this is sort of like the thing that works. I'm just thinking, um, I've worked with a couple of 
very junior marketing people and I was more like in, in the, the guidance role and helping them bit of like the fractional CMO. And uh, the interesting thing for me to see was that they looked at everything like a clean slate and they didn't really know what works, what doesn't work. And I came with experiences and you could also say opinions about certain things where I could say, okay, you are in the IT industry. You're never gonna sell IT services to other companies just by doing an AdWords campaign. Don't, don't even try it, it's, it's, it's never worked. So I'm, I'm always torn because sometimes I think who I am to say that, let's try it. Um, and very often I'm like, we don't even have to try this because it, it hasn't worked and the dynamics of this product are different. Um, yeah, so I think I went off on a tangent here, but- No, not really. You, you did a nice job summarizing like the thought there. It's many companies just don't measure to start with. And so they don't know what's an experiment and what's working and what's not working. Um, I think when you go into the cut mode or the optimize mode without those, without those metrics of what's working, what's not working, you just say, heck, let's just scrap it all. Let's just mm. start over. And, and that's the danger you were alluding to is you just can't cut everything. There needs to be some, some data to help decide what to keep doing and what not to do. There's and I think you also, need somebody who's really... So thinking about business coaching, thinking about high price point products that are services that are being sold on a personal basis, um, you need someone who really has been around for a while in that company. So they know like, hey, John Doe, he's called us three years ago and uh, he, he, he's gonna come, he's gonna become a client at one point and um, really have sort of a big picture of like a lot of names that have touched the company or the business in the past and have a sense of like certain people will return. We didn't convert them right away. Um, and I think that's a, a challenge for a lot of businesses. You have CRM systems, you can capture a lot of information like this person got an email two years ago, they called us 18 months ago, da 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 da. Um, with a community, I feel the way I saw that often was I had more of a connection with people. So I had a bigger context of like, okay, this person is connected with that person. And so they did it. Um, it was a lot of soft selling and relationship building that was hard to capture on a CM system. And I think that is something that is hard to grasp if you come from this Google ad world and you're like 25 and you want to sort of like quickly turn something around. There are a lot of relationships um, among people that are hard to capture in the sales process, but yes. that sometimes bring in money that are, well, it's dangerous to just cut something because you say, well, it's not, it's, it's not doing anything. And it is, you just got to be more patient. So. Yeah, but it's, it's yeah you can't one. track you can't track everything it's really hard i should say to track everything well there's so many soft interactions there's conversations that happen in passing in groups and at events like i'm a big believer in just making random connections um mm -hmm. and adding value through connecting other people randomly to 
I mean, it's not random as much as just for the sake of creating connections. And I can tell you, I can look back almost every time at a lead or referral that I get is because of some connection I made many, many months ago, completely unrelated. Yeah. And it's, you can't track that in a CRM. And that just, that's a, things that happen in the universe. The, we don't have any much control over it. You just have to be open to it and uh, uh, play the rule, play the game. But it you helps to have sort of a bigger system like uh, to, to know, okay, what we do on LinkedIn has an impact. So for example, what I've seen over the past months when I started posting daily, I don't see a lot of people or I see people commenting and liking the posts, but I've met a lot of people that told me, hey, I like your posts. I, I read everything you do. So I, I'm having an impact that I can't measure just because people don't leave any traces by just viewing the stuff. And it's, but it's, but it's, yeah, leaving, it's having an impact on their mind. So they remember me and um, building a system between LinkedIn, having a podcast, having a good email list. You, you can have some touch points that you can measure, but there's a lot happening among them that you can't track and uh, you got to yeah. trust that it works. And I think that's the thing for C-level leaders and, and business owners to understand is that now our personalities and our profiles are so much more visible than they ever were as individuals. And the power of that is that we can spread more awareness of our business through our personal profiles than ever before. We're also, you know, at risk if something happens personally, it can have a business implication pretty quickly as well. But I think it's more the, the, the former that's important to grasp. So your, your online profile, I think I heard it the other day, if you look up Tesla, it's got, you know, X million users. If you look on Elon Musk, it's 10 X that, I mean, the, the profile of the individual that drives that company, owns that company or in that company is 10X as powerful as the profile yeah. of the company itself. And that's the opportunity when you think about communities. It's not companies that join communities, it's people. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not companies yeah. that are leading communities, it's people. So yeah. as executives, that's our opportunity is to really leverage this space and technology to build stronger profiles and, and better communities for ourselves and our teams. Yeah, what you're saying is so true. I mean, with LinkedIn, you have the company profile, you have the individual profile, and uh, everybody follows Elon Musk, a uh, few people follow Tesla, because we, we, we as, as human beings, we are made to interact with fellow human beings. And a company is sort of just an artificial product. It's nothing we can really identify with. Yeah, brands help to a certain degree, but we want to see faces. We want to see expressions. We want to see viewpoints, taste values, and um, really get a sense for who that person is. And I think a lot of C-level uh, people are too shy when it comes to being visible and being transparent because um, in the end that's part of the role I think they have for the company that they serve that they give a face to that company and um, they ought to live more of that personality on LinkedIn or whatever platform they choose yeah 
Well, let's switch gears. Tell me something about yourself individually. What What do you like to do for fun? What do I like to do for fun? I like cycling. I'm, I'm, oh yeah. I'm really excited to to be back in London. I haven't been here for two years. And it's just, I just love cycling through London and going to meetings and um, while everybody else uh, is in a stuffy subway car, I can sort of freely float on the street. So I think Is London bike friendly? Surprisingly, yes. Um, okay. It's one of the safest cities, I would say, for cycling. Uh, they have a lot of bike lanes and it's a very common and accepted thing. Every Every bus, if they sense you hovering around somewhere, they quickly stop and uh, wait for you. So it's a really bike-friendly city, and it's, it's, it's a good place to cycle. Great. Have you done any racing? Well, not like competitive, but I did um, a fun thing. Um, I did a couple of charity rides from Paris to London. Uh, sounds like crazy, but it's sort of... Uh, one of the, the life lessons that I, that I took that if you sort of ride at a steady pace and do that over a prolonged period of time, you get very far. And, um, <laughs> you would think like Paris, London, isn't that like fucking crazy far? And it's indeed, it takes you three days if you cycle for six to eight hours a day and um, you just get there. You just sort of like keep pedaling and... Um, it's 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 great fun i did it as part of a charity ride for an organization called tech bikers so we raised funds for a literacy project um in developing countries and um so that that's a fun thing i like to do there is a um race across iowa it's called ragbri and it stands for race across greater iowa i don't know the the words the letters all mean something but they start by dipping um the back wheel of the bicycle in the missouri river which is on the western border of iowa and then it's a usually it's a seven eight nine ten day uh route across iowa and then they dip their front wheel in the Mississippi, which is on the east side of Iowa. And it's a big, uh, it's a big deal. People have been doing that for years and it becomes an event at every stop along the way. So mm. there's always a different route. There's always little towns that they're stopping out. And those towns host big events. It's, it's, it's a campground, you know, idea the, all these uh, buses come and they, they're pulling all the gear and the bicycles get off. And it's a race, but it's really 10 days of partying, I think, for most yeah. of these people. Because every yeah. night there's just festivals and energy and fun. And then you next morning you get off, you get on your bike, you ride 15, 20, 40, 60 miles. I don't know what the distances are. And then you do it again. It's a, say it's the same stop every day. Everybody stops, I should say, at the same place every day. So mm -hmm. no one's going ahead. But they are timing you between stops if you want to race it. Um, I've never done it, but it sounded like a lot of fun. You know what that is? That is community building. I mean, <laughs> by being is. together with the same group of people for eight to 10 days, um, you, you've built a community. And uh, I think that that's what, what always fascinated me being part of these events. 
you, you're being thrown in a room with complete strangers. And after a certain period of time, it's like you, you've built this trust and you've built this relationship with other people that you would not have thought about before you've met them. And that's what really fascinates me, how we as a, as a human as a species have this ability to, to connect and to build these groups just because we sort of, yeah, we, we, we see ourselves in each other and sort of understand each other's needs. So absolutely highly fascinating. Yeah, that's community building. Well, with that in mind, it's been great talking with you, Simon. I'm excited to uh, continue our community building together. You know, you and I have been talking offline on different subjects, so I'm excited to keep doing that. But if anybody else wants to reach out to you about the work you do or to get to know more about you, what's the best way? Best way is always to check out my LinkedIn profile. You will see lots of content that gives you an idea of what uh, what we do with the Storylux. And, uh, my name might be hard to find, Simon Kipnizo. <laughs> we'll have it in the show notes, so it'll be yeah, easy yeah. for people to, but, to access. Um, I'm highly responsive on LinkedIn, uh, following the preach what you what, walk, 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 walk the talk. Practice what you preach, walk the talk. Practice what you preach, walk the talk. Uh, we do a lot of LinkedIn work. Ride your bike and you, the training wheels take off. I don't know. There's so many different things <laughs> we could go there. Um, well, good. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you want to reach out to Simon, talk about bikes or community building or building a bike community, I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. And I would uh, like to hear from you and talk to you next week on our next show. So thank you for tuning in. And that's a wrap. There's another successful episode of the Fractional C-Suite Retreat. See our show notes and more episodes at fractionalcsuiteretreat.com. This podcast is sponsored by Your CMO helping organizations grow, save time and money with better marketing strategy and fractional execution. Visit them at yorcmo.com, yourcmo.com, spelled wrong on purpose.